Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And my friends, we have been programmed to competitive advertising. We are constantly being encouraged to purchase this product as opposed to that product. One man buys a Ford, another buys a Chevy, and then a third asks, what difference does it make? From televisions to deodorants, laundry detergents, and countless other products, the same attitude is found. From which grocery store we frequent to which gas station, people tend to think that it makes little difference. People reason, after all, each one of the products has its good points and its bad. It's just a question of what a person likes. While the product manufacturers and the advertising agencies would argue that viewpoint, it is still the prevailing view. One is as good as another. The same sort of attitude has obviously permeated the religious world, or at least how a large portion of people who are religious think, and that is tragic. All too often when discussing a doctrinal matter in the Bible, we get the reply, what difference does it make? Once in Ireland, after a week's worth of nightly lessons with question and answer periods, on the final night, the wife of one of the members summed up the prevailing attitude by raising her hand and asking, why do you all take it so seriously? Most religious people do not really think that it makes a difference when it comes to dozens of things taught in the Word of God. But the truth is, it does make a difference. Most would agree, or so it seems, that we should believe something. And most of the people that I know would include belief in God and in Jesus as his Son. If they know any Bible at all, they know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Most are vaguely familiar with John 14 and verse 6, or at least what it says. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. However, is that the only requirement of true, saving Bible faith, to believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son? Let's go back to the Old Testament and consider the story of the prophet of God who believed a lie. In 1 Kings 13, we find the account of what he did and the death he died for doing so. What he had been commanded by God is found in verse 9. He said, For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall eat no bread, nor drink water, nor return by the way which you came. However, move down to verse 18, and we see what an older prophet told him. I also am a prophet like you. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back to you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. 
but he lied to him. Verse 24 shows us the consequence. Now when he had gone, a lion met him on the way and killed him, and his body was thrown on the road. With the donkey standing beside it, the lion also was standing beside the body. It mattered what he believed. Consider Second Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12 and ask if it makes a difference. That passage says, And for this reason God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. How important is believing the truth? Well, consider John 8, verses 31 through 32. Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you truly are disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Nothing else will make us free. No matter how firmly we may believe it, error just will not save. It does matter what we believe. We must believe what God says. My friends, the whole fabric of denominationalism is identical in some ways to that of competitive advertising. A denomination is joined, or a megachurch is joined, because it offers something that appeals to certain people. Other denominations and churches appeal to still others with different tastes and likes. But the real question should be, in God's eyes, do all the various denominations and megachurches even have the right to exist? I firmly believe that Jesus prayed otherwise. When I consider his beautiful prayer in John chapter 17, looking specifically at verses 20 and 21, we find, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. I just do not believe that all of the different and differing churches are the way that God answered that prayer. When something similar to modern denominations was found among believers in Corinth 2,000 years ago, it was condemned and the folly of it clearly shown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10-13, through 13, we find this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Division was wrong for the believers in Corinth at that time, and it is any different today. If it is, I'd like to know who changed it. Jesus promised, I will build my church in Matthew 16 and verse 18. If that church were one among many built by the Lord, then that would leave us with the choice to make. We then could legitimately ask, what difference does it make what church I am a part of? But look at what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He wrote, And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave his head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. Move over to chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians, verses 4 through 6, where we find, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. If we were to compare the church that man built, denominations and megachurches, we could conclude it makes no difference which one we choose to join. But Jesus built his church. It is his body. And he has only one body, the church. And that makes a difference. Consider Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 where we find, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. God adds people to that church when they are saved through the blood of the Lord. While some minimize the importance of the church, Jesus magnified it. What is the difference? Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. Jesus is the Savior of his church. How important is that church? Important enough for Jesus to die for it. That is the difference. Many religious leaders call baptism one of the non-essential acts of the gospel. It is often said baptism is an outward sign of an inward grace or that it is an act of obedience that one does after they are saved. And of course, some argue that water never saved anyone. But I can't help but think about Naaman in the face of such arguments. Naaman was a highly respected captain of the army of the king of Syria, but he was a leper and was told by Elisha, the man of God, in 2 Kings 5.10, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. Naaman was not a fool. He responded in verse 12 by saying, Are not Abinah and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Naaman had never heard anything so silly as to dip in the muddy Jordan in order to get clean. However, another voice chimed in in verse 13. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? The servant argued that this was a simple thing, and he had come prepared to do some great thing. So Naaman rethought his choice. In verse 14 we are told, So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. No, water could not cleanse Naaman. Only God could do that, but he would not do it until Naaman did what God told him to do. In the same way, the waters of baptism cannot cleanse anyone of sin. Only God can do that. But the principle remains the same. The essentiality of baptism cannot be determined by human wisdom, but by the word of the Lord. What looked foolish to Naaman was what saved him. 
what might look foolish to some, baptism, is what God has decreed necessary for salvation. It is not the water, but the working of God. Consider Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It is not the water of baptism, but the response of a right heart. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. There we find, and corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Like Naaman was cleansed of his leprosy, all can be cleansed of their sins if they will only obey the Lord in the waters of baptism. Again, when discussing the method of baptism, the emphasis by some men is on choice. Some sprinkle water, others pour a little water. Some baptize infants, others only adults. But the Bible speaks of method in regard to baptism. The word describes specific actions, immersion, submersion, dipping. Just look at what baptism requires and the mode of baptism becomes clear. Looking at Acts chapter 10 verses 46 through 48, we find, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It requires more than just a little water. Consider John 3, verse 23. And John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because there was much water there, and they were coming and were being baptized. New Testament baptism requires going down into the water. Coming to Acts chapter 8, verse 38, we find, And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. All this being true, it is not surprising that Paul spoke of the action of baptism as he did in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Baptism requires water, sufficient water for the individual to go down into and be immersed. Man can invent all manner of substitutions and methods to replace immersion in water with something else, but it will not be baptism, just an empty replacement. When Naaman, as we have seen, was told to dip in the River Jordan, he objected on the grounds that the rivers back home were just as good, even better. But they were not as good for one reason. God had specified the River Jordan. Now, when Naaman realized that and obeyed, he was cleansed. Some will argue that sprinkling will do just as well as immersion, but it won't, for God has specified the method of baptism. Calling sprinkling baptism does not make it baptism. There are two different actions. It makes a difference because God tells us what he wants us to do. Many teach the only thing that matters in worship is what is in the heart of the individual.
But what about Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron and priests of God? We know Leviticus 10 and verse 1 tells us, Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took their respective firepans, and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. They offered strange fire, fire from somewhere different from that which God had commanded. Verse 2 tells us what happened. And fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. This shows us just how serious a matter it is when Jesus said God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The problem with Nadab and Abihu was the same with so many today. They wanted to worship God, but to do it in their own way. They found out it makes a difference. Jesus described certain of the people of his day in the following way in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. Jesus said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Worship devised by men today is no more acceptable to God than it was then. Questions such as, When do we partake of the Lord's Supper? or should we use instruments of music in the worship, must be firmly answered by what the Lord wants. It is not our likes or our dislikes that matter. It is what the Heavenly Father likes or dislikes that we should consider, and it should be our only consideration. In fact, every question concerning things related to our religious beliefs and practices must be settled by what God has said. We can all have opinions on commercial products, such as automobiles and cleaning products. And in fact, your opinion on such matters is not better or worse than mine. But when it comes to faith, or which church to be a part of, or how we are saved and by what method, it must be by his authority, by his will, his way that guides us. Then we will not try to dodge the fourth of his plain teaching with what difference does it make? The difference it makes, my friends, deals with eternity. Words to think about. Thanks for listening.